So Money episode 1105, Dr. Hans Boating, the investing tutor, and what is going on with the stock market? You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. The first chapter of the book said, the rich don't work for money. That was the point that my life changed because everyone works for money. At least that's what I understood. That's what I believed. So then this concept of the rich don't work for money. So I had to ask myself, what do rich people work for? What do the wealthy have? Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. If you've got questions about why the stock market is not necessarily reflecting the state of the economy, this episode is for you, because I've got a lot of questions about that as well. Our guest, Dr. Hans Boating, the investing tutor, breaks it all down for us, discussing the discrepancies between the stock market and the economy, as well as how to pick stocks. Now, Total disclaimer, you know that on the show and in real life, I don't talk about picking stocks, right? When it comes to investing, I'm all about long-term investing, passive investing, investing in things like low-fee funds, index funds, ETFs, tapping your 401k at work, using a Roth IRA. But at some point, you may find yourself wanting to invest in individual stocks after you've gotten all your bases covered. You know, I just invested a little bit in the stock market, picked a stock called Party City. You may have heard of it. Well, Dr. Hans and I discuss how to actually pick stocks with more certainty and what he actually thinks of my stock pick. He was none too happy to hear about my Party City pick. You'll hear why. I try to defend it. I think he might be right. More about Dr. Hans. He's an immigrant from Ghana, moved to New York City with his family years ago. They lived in a one-bedroom apartment. Hans making just $6 an hour at that point, also attending community college at the same time, but always knew, always knew that he would be wealthy. So he started to read, he started to get mentored, and he landed on the power of investing. On his way to becoming Dr. Hans, he earned his Path of Distinction MBA from William & Mary. He holds a Doctor of Pharmacy from St. John Fisher College. And to help him become the expert that he is, he's read over 400 books, 40,000 financial articles, and has spent 11 years pursuing mastery. His website is theinvestingtutor.com. Very excited to unveil our interview. Here is Dr. Hans. Hans Boating, The Investing Tutor. Welcome to So Money, finally. We've been Instagram friends for a while. It's nice to connect voice to voice. It's it's such an honor to connect for our news. Thank you for having me. A little bird told me you thought it was hilarious that I invested in Party City stock. So audience, I was on a podcast recently, the Better Bigger Pockets podcast, which is a huge, huge podcast. Check it out if you haven't already. And you were listening, Hans, and I mentioned that I had dabbled in some individual stocks. Just one, actually, was the Party City stock. You know, I'm not an individual stock investor, guys, but I was in Party City, saw just the overwhelming lines and crowds and people just going crazy buying all this stuff. And maybe I'm new to the scene, but I thought there was something to it. And I I thought, let me go and research this company. Turns out it was like a dollar fifty 
per share. So I thought, well, let's just throw some money at this. And kind of as a game, my brother and I participated. This was the story that I shared on this podcast. Hans, you happened to be in the audience when I was sharing this story. And uh, I guess uh, I made you laugh, but it also made you kind of fall in love with me, didn't it? Definitely. And with regards to that investment, I was thinking to myself, okay, so Farnoosh is... is um, judging that this company is a good investment based on the store, like, you know, the line in the store, I was like, well, <laughs> there are other factors, which there were other factors that-, that I looked at. Okay, perfect. I looked at, uh, well, first of all, I figured it's at a dollar something. It can only go up from here, you know, or, or it goes to nothing. And my, I felt like I had more upside potential with this stock. The other thing was that I, recognize that they had just received a huge inflow of debt relief, that there was an investor that it basically swooped in and relieved them a lot of a lot of their debt. So their balance sheet was a lot healthier. And it was at around $8 a couple years ago or less than a, a couple years ago. So I thought, okay, like it has potential you know, and I look, I invested like $500 in it. I didn't invest, you know, my life savings or even anything close to it. It was more of just a, again, my brother and I did this together as a way to kind of have something to talk about. We talk, we have, we have a lot in common, but this was another layer to our relationship, which he loves to invest in stocks. My brother put much more into Party City than I did. Yeah, I did look at some other variables. I didn't look at PE and all that other stuff because that just goes over my head. Yes, I, I, I also don't look at PE and all of that stuff. So to simplify, the most important metric that you need to kind of think of is, do you believe that in 10 years from now, Party City is going to be around? Is it going to be growing? And will the company be more valuable than it is today? Because Mm -hmm. if the company is going to be more valuable, let's say in 10 years or a couple of years from now, then the stock is going to grow, right? So that is something that most people kind of overlook. The stock price is tied to the value of the company. So as the value, the total value of the company increases, which has to do with the revenue that the company is making. So you seeing people in the store is an important thing, right? But your confidence in, is this company going to be more valuable in the future is the main key metric. So for me, the reason I was laughing is because with the pandemic going on and a lot of retail stores closing, how do we know that Party City is going to be able to make it. That was the only kind of like people thought love in mind. balloons. People <laughs> love the balloons, Hans. And we are procrastinators. That I know is not going to change in the next 10 years. And everybody buying balloons and tchotchkes and beads and plates and you know, party bags. These are people who have birthday parties this weekend. It's because they didn't have time to go on Amazon and figure it all out. Or, you know, there's something about going into this party city. It's kind of like going into, I don't know, a this, it's an experience. If ever, It's not a great experience, but it is an interesting experience. Just like you kind of go in there, everything's super cheap. You're inspired. Oh, maybe I should get this cute, you know, colored themed birthday party, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like there's just a lot of inspiration that happens in the store. It's a time suck, but I think as behaviorally, I think that there's something to it that humans 
are drawn to? If it's not just the balloons, it's all the other 20 aisles. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, why I, am I promoting Party City? I don't want to spend time doing that on this podcast. I want to talk about you and your brilliant business that you've built, helping people, like you just kind of gave a flavor of it right now, helping people understand uh, stocks and investing, demystifying it for everybody. I want to get into your background because your background is not actually, at least it didn't start out in investing. And so curious about what made you transition. But let's first talk about what's happening in the world right now, which is that the stock market is doing pretty well compared to the economy. Job market is in the tanks. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of retail is shuttering. A lot of businesses, I was just reading about you know, small businesses, about 100,000 of them will never come back as a result of this pandemic. Now, I know those aren't the companies that are in the S&P 500, but why is there such a disconnect between what is happening in the market, stock market, versus what's happening in the economy? Can you explain that to us for a little bit? Absolutely. So the stock market looks at the future, Right. So whenever we're investing, we're investing in, you know, the value of, let's say, companies or if it's the S&P 500, the value of the U.S. economy in the future. So then the stock market is growing because it's looking at the fact that a vaccine is in production. It's looking at the fact that the Federal Reserve stepped in and they've pretty much provided liquidity up to about $4 trillion, right? So it's supporting the U.S. economy. Congress, Senate, White House, they came together. They passed a $2 trillion stimulus, which gave most Americans, 80% to be exact, a stimulus check. So you look at the amount of money being pumped into the economy, it takes time for Main Street or the real economy to begin to see the effects of this. But then the stock market can, you know, look at all of what's going on right now and say, oh, my gosh, things are going to be way better in about a year, year and a half. So then the stock market values that. And that's why you see growth in the stock market. But then it's going to take time for the economy to catch up. I understand that. I think that's uh, that is true. That is true. That's what I learned also in my years working at places like thestreet.com and you know reporting on and on the stock market. But at some point, do you think that the stock market has to correct? I mean, we had a big fall in March. Uh, when the pandemic first kind of arrived in a big way and everybody was quarantining. And at that point, there wasn't talk of a vaccine. I mean, obviously, we are always going to work towards that, but it wasn't, you know, uh, something that looked like it was going to happen in the near term. But, you know, if you look at anyone's portfolio over the last 11, 12 years, it's been very solid, very positive trending. What would the market need to believe in order to have another maybe year or two of negative growth? The market would have to believe that the Federal Reserve is going to let the entire economy go pretty much be obl obliterated, which is close to impossible, right? The Fed, uh, Fed Chair, Jerome Powell stated that they are going to be increasing the purchases of treasury bonds as well as mortgage-backed securities. For, so for individuals listening, that pretty much means that the Federal Reserve is going to keep pumping money uh, into you know, the treasury, which gives the government money 
So in essence, the government can then go on and create programs like stimulus packages and things of that nature, which then passes on that money to us. Right. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. with mortgage backed securities, when they keep purchasing these, it drives down interest rates or, you know, mortgage rates, which makes, you know, home purchasing more attractive when you have low rates. Right. So then for the stock market to crash, which in my opinion, there's like a 1% likelihood that this mm-hmm. is going to happen over the next one to two years. For the stock market to crash, we would need to see a vaccine not come out in the next two years. We'd have to see the Federal Reserve increase interest rates instead of decreasing it. We'd have to see the election pretty much not turn out the way that we're expecting, right? So maybe one party wins and then, so let me be specific. Let's say the Democratic Party wins and then President Trump is like, no, it was it was a fake uh, election. It was rigged. That can trigger pretty much a stock market decline because the stock market does not like uncertainty, right? When everything is certain, stock market continues to grow. When there's uncertainty, there's there's a pullback or mm-hmm. it could be a recession if that uncertainty is major, right? So the only way we're going to see a significant dip in the market is if one of these factors that I've shared with you occurs. I will say that uncertainty has become the certainty. Mm. <laughs> you know, like I, I also am looking at the election and I'm like, Whichever way it goes, a lot of people are going to be unhappy. And I don't think there is a certain expectation of how the election is going to go. I think that what is certain is that there's going to be chaos. Anyway, that's for another podcast. Tell me a little bit about why you are such an a lover of investing, given your background, right? So you studied... Uh, not investing, you studied, I mean, you're self-taught, but when you went to school, you know, you have a doctor of pharmacy from St. John Fisher College. You have, um, do you have an MBA, Path of Distinction MBA from William & Mary? But, you know, how did you get into the investing game and what was the initial bug for you? What what caught you? So let me share a little bit about my story because it kind of allows individuals to understand. So I was born and raised in, in Ghana, West Africa. And growing up, you were told, right, become a doctor, lawyer, and engineer, right? So then your foundation is based on, I need to go get a job. And if it's a high paying job, then I'll be able to build wealth. I'll be able to be rich. So then fast forward, my family and I, we end up in the US, Bronx, New York. So we go from you know, middle to upper middle class family in Ghana, West Africa, to Bronx, New York. And we're pretty much starting at the bottom. So then we we lived in a one bedroom apartment. <laughs> My bedroom was in the living room with a pullout sofa. I was earning $6 an hour working a part-time minimum wage job, and I was attending community college. But despite this humble beginning, one thing that I knew um, for certain was that I was going to be wealthy. And you might be wondering, like, how did you know that? It's because I would look at the lifestyle that, you know, super wealthy people have, and then I would say to myself, hey, if they can achieve that, then why not me? 
I didn't know that like this passion and desire would then end up with me meeting this mentor when I got enrolled in pharmacy school. And the mentor could tell I was really driven to want to build wealth, but he felt that the path by which I was taking, right, to get a degree and get a job was not the way wealth was built. So then he asked me to read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, which I did. And the first chapter of the book said, the rich don't work for money. That was the point that my life changed because everyone works for money. At least that's what I understood. That's what I believed. So then this concept of the rich don't work for money. So I had to ask myself, what do rich people work for? What do the wealthy have? And I found out that rich people work to acquire assets. And it is those assets that then generate money and wealth for them, right? So then they are not trading their time for money because there's a limited amount of time that every individual has. But then an asset literally unlinks that time to money equation and allows an individual to be able to build wealth, like an infinite amount of wealth. So then once I understood that, okay, it's an asset that builds wealth. The next question is, okay, what assets do rich people have? And going to the Federal Reserve website, looking at IRS data, the top 1% have three times more money in the stock market than they do in real estate. And being that it was IRS data, I was, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So then I was like, what is this stock market thing? So I went, looked into the stock market, and then I found things like S&P 500. You know, for the past 100 years, the stock market has been averaging about 10% if you factor in dividends. I was like, oh my gosh. So I go to a compound interest calculator and I say to myself, let me take a minimum wage worker. And let's say this individual is investing 10% of their income on a month-to-month basis. That's approximately about $100. So I plug it in and I say this individual starts investing $100 from age 20 to age 65, which is retirement age. And I found out at that 10% rate of return, that individual will have a little over $1 million. And that was the life-changing moment for me. I was like, what? A minimum wage worker could have a million dollars by retirement. I was like, everyone needs to know about this stock market thing. Everyone needs to know about it. So I started to read as much as I can. I've read over 40,000 financial journals and articles. I've read over 400 books each day. I spend about four to five hours each day studying everything that's going on across the world, in the U.S. I'm so enamored by the stock market. I can't explain to you where I get this passion, but I just feel like everyone needs to know about it. And if I can add one more thing, I realize that immigrants and minorities often know little to nothing about the stock markets. Because if you think about um, kind of like my upbringing, right? African parents, what do they know about the stock market? So they cannot pass on that knowledge to our generation. So I realized that that is what is further expanding 
the wealth gap in minority communities. So I felt like it was a calling to step in, right? Let go of this doctor of pharmacy degree that you have, and then provide this knowledge that you've acquired to help uplift, you know, minorities or in all honesty, anyone who is looking to build wealth, but wasn't raised in a rich and wealthy family. You're absolutely right. And I think part of why, as a daughter of an immigrant and a minority, I think part of the reason why also we don't invest as much is because of the accessibility barrier, right? Where investing is often billed as this very sophisticated, um, exclusive club, right? Like investors, you have to be first, you have to be rich to invest. You know, you have to invest to get rich. You don't start out rich when you invest. You don't have to, at least. And I think that there's some messaging problems around the concept of investing. What I love what you're doing, your work, is you're really breaking down those barriers. Yes. And it's very, very important, right? If you look at income disparity in the country, right, it's it's a two to one income disparity. But then if you look at the wealth disparity, it is 10 to one. So why is, why is it that, you know, income is two to one, but wealth is 10 to one. So clearly we are not utilizing, even though we're not making an equivalent amount of income as let's say, you know, a white person, and I'm speaking for me because I'm black, we can still, or we should still be able to leverage at least what we have to be able to build wealth. And I feel that my job is to educate, teach, inspire, and encourage individuals to understand the importance of long-term investing, right? So for example, when an individual discovers my platform, they learn that the first thing they need to do is to look into a retirement account through their employer, right? 401k, 403b, or thrift savings plan if a person is in the military. That's where you start. That's the foundation. Once that is established, then you look at your investment funds, so index funds and ETFs. Once that second layer is established, now you look at the icing on the investment cake. You know, a few stocks of companies that you love, understand, and believe in. And that's pretty much what I share. For that latter component, the portfolio of the stocks that you love, can we talk about that a little bit? We don't talk a lot about that on the show, and I think it it would be fun to explore that with you. Okay, assuming you've got all these other layers figured out, this is not the first thing you're approaching to do, everybody, right? This is sort of the icing on the cake. How do you how do you go about doing it? What's my old colleague and mentor Jim Kramer would say that you can't have any less than five stocks in that portfolio. You still want to be diversified and you have to approach it like you do your sports teams or whatever other passion you have. You check the numbers every day. You got to get really, you got to love it because that's what it's there for. It's kind of this intense portfolio that you want to monitor. So I would say that the diversification piece is already being done with their retirement account and their investment funds, right? They have over 500 stocks. So diversification is happening there. With the few stocks, right? They could be three, they could be five, they could be eight. With those few stocks, 
I tend to say, don't worry about diversification, right? Because once again, you have the two layers in place. So with those, just focus on, I like to say, how are you spending your time, right? So for anyone listening, if you have an iPhone, you can go into settings, look at screen time, look at the apps that you were on this week. You will get two incredible investment ideas right there, right? And then, so then look at how you're spending your time. What TV channels do you watch? Are you on Netflix? Okay, well, go look at Netflix stock. Are you on, do you have Disney Plus for your kids? Maybe you might want to consider Disney as a stock. So that's the time component, how you spend your time. And look at how you spend your money. Do you go to Party City? Or are you at Target? Are you hey at now. Walmart? <laughs> or are you always shopping on Amazon Prime or Amazon, right? Or do you love Apple products? So that gives you ideas as to the potential companies you can add to that stock portfolio. But then there are five questions that I tell everyone to ask themselves. And it would be fun to see if we could go through those questions with Party City, if, if you will. So the first question that I ask is, do you love this company? The second question is, do you understand how they make money? The third question is, will this company continue to grow? The fourth question is, 10 years from now, will the company be around Will they be relevant? And the fifth question is, does the company have a compelling vision for the future? So I'll go ahead and, and go through the questions. And then for each question, Farnoosh, if you will, mm -hmm. if you can uh, answer it for Party City. So the first one, do you love Party City? Not really. I go there maybe once a year. I don't like their digital experience at all. I find them actually pretty inconvenient. You have to go to the store to make an order sometimes for your balloons. It's it's very stodgy, but when you need balloons, because your son's birthday is tomorrow and it's four o'clock in the afternoon today, it's kind of your only option. So while I don't love it, I see how it fits a need at times. Sure. But the first, so the first one is a no. So the next question is, do you understand how the company makes money? I think so. I think it's margins on all the products that they sell. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's like a grocery store. And so it's probably why it's not the best experience because they're trying to, they're, they're selling on volume. So it's a lot of stuff in the store. Yes. And do you feel like Party City will continue to grow, meaning that they'll continue to open more stores, right? Because it's more mm -hmm. of a retail footprint. So do you feel like they'll continue to grow? Perhaps. I feel like it's really going to get acquired at some point by an Amazon or a Walmart. I don't know if there's really a lot of like customer loyalty. Again, there's really nothing like it. Right. So you just got to have to deal with it. And I don't, I don't, I don't see what the growth strategy would be other than maybe going into areas that they don't exist where they realize, hey, there's like a burgeoning community here of families. That could actually be interesting to look and see what happens because we know that geographically people are changing exactly. where they live as a result of this pandemic. Perhaps the hot spots, the hot centers, 
the the places where people would normally go to as the the go-to suburb, maybe that changes. And so they're finding themselves p- popping up in other parts of the country because of that's just where the demographic, the, the geography is changing. Yes. And the fourth one is, would they be around in 10 years? What do you think? Yeah, I think that it would be a, a maybe. And I would say... Not, yes. not we're not certain. There's a possibility. Not certain. I think maybe there's a good acquisition probability. Okay. And then the last one is does Party City have like a compelling, exciting vision for the future? <laughs> oh gosh. I don't know. I don't, I don't you don't hear about it in the news at least. You know, you I wouldn't have anything to go off of. And that is why when I was like listening to the podcast with you talking about Party City, I was just, you know, (laughs) so like, let's take this and I'll quickly run this through an example like Apple, right? So for example, do I love Apple? 100%. Do I understand how Apple makes money? Yes. Selling their devices as well as now services. Will Apple continue to grow? 100%. Will Apple be around in 10 years? I mean, where are they going? And the last one, does Apple have a compelling vision, an exciting vision for the future? You see how we could confidently answer these questions for Apple? Mm -hmm. So if a person had to decide on, do I go with Apple or Party City? You can can see how Apple would be a, a really great investment, even without going in and doing a cash flow, a discounted cash flow analysis and looking at PE ratio and all of that, right? And that is how I want individuals to look at stocks. That makes sense. But I will say my party city stock is up 33% since I bought it. So you're really um, doing well. You really are. And and just so you know, I analyzed party city stock and the metrics showed me that it was a good investment in all honesty. Mm-hmm. So it showed the metric showed me that, Hey, there is some, you know, there's some growth potential there. It's just that, like I'm saying with their retail. It's not a long-term bet. It's a short-term, exactly. it's a short-term play. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hans Boating, thank you so much for joining me on So Money. There's so much more we could talk about, but I do want to send people your way. We'll hopefully tease them here during this half hour and then they can come to you for all the meat and all the uh, all the great offers that you have. Tell us about where's the best place to find you and what you would love people to check out. Yes, once again, Farnoosh, thank you so much for this opportunity. I've been listening to your podcast for uh, close to about two to three years. So this truly has been pretty much a dream. So thank you. Aww, that's so for, nice of you to say. For the individuals who are listening, if you want to connect with me, I'm on Instagram and my handle is investing. Tutor, right? So Tutor, T-U-T-O-R. So just search Investing Tutor. You can connect with me there. What I do have for your audience, for individuals who want to understand how the stock market works, what is the stock market? You know, what is money? How do you build wealth? I have a completely free program and that's on my website. And the URL is please helpmeinvest.com. So the URL again is pleasehelpmeinvest.com. So yeah, you can check that out. Thanks so much, Hans Boating. 
Thanks so much to Dr. Hans for joining us. His website again is theinvestingtutor.com. You can grab his free program on stock investing. He's got a group coaching program for generational wealth and custom tailored private tutoring, as well as a blog and so much more. All this information is also on somoneypodcast.com, the transcript, the audio, the links. And if you'd like to leave me a message for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh, just click on Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. Money.